today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. ninth chapter of the book of Romans, but before we begin there, if you will, go to Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, the Holy Spirit through Paul is building up to another warning, and it's found here in Romans 11. You will move down to verse 20, Romans 11, verse 20. The Holy Spirit through Paul said this, Because of unbelief, they were broken off. Now this is speaking of Israel. They were broken off because they did not believe that Jesus was their Messiah, and they had him crucified. And thou standest by faith. He's speaking to the church here. The only way that we are able to stand is by keeping our faith in Christ and what he did for us at the cross. It's who he is and what he did. He went on to say there, latter part of verse 20, Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches... And again, he's speaking of Israel. Take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity. Now, at the time Paul wrote this, uh, he knew that severe judgment was coming upon Israel because of their unbelief and rejection of Christ. And that judgment came some years later in 70 A.D. when Titus came in with soldiers. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, fulfilling what Jesus prophesied and said. He said not one stone would be left upon another. So many Jews were killed and scattered throughout the Roman Empire that there was no more self-ruling state from then right on up until 1948, and that was right after World War II, and a vote was taken, and Israel became a nation again. Like I said, that was in 1948. God allowed all of that for the fulfillment of end-time events, prophecy, and and so forth. But uh, Paul said, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity. Their judgment was severe because they rejected Christ. 
But toward thee, he's speaking to the church here, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. If the church continues to exhibit faith in God's salvation's plan, then we'll continue in God's goodness and his blessings. Okay? But if we set out some other way of righteousness like Israel did, then we're going to be cut off exactly as Israel was cut off. And there are churches closing their doors today left and right. And I truly believe it is because their faith has shifted from Christ and His finished work to something else. And it doesn't matter what the something else is. If it's not faith in Christ and His finished work, then church, we're going to be cut off exactly as Israel was cut off. Now, Paul begins in chapter 9 by giving us some Jewish history, starting with Abraham. He deals with the idea of national salvation. Now, that was a problem then. John the Baptist dealt with the issue, and... Uh, Jesus dealt with it. Now Paul is dealing with it. It needs to be dealt with today. Not so much of being a Jew, uh, but we got people today who think just because I'm a member of the Baptist church, I'm saved. Or just because I'm a member of Church of God, or I'm this or that, joined the church, shook the preacher's hand, then I'm saved. That has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. And the Jews thought just because they were of the seed of Abraham and born of Abraham that they were automatically saved. And Paul is going to come up against that here. If you look there at the latter half of verse 6, Romans chapter 9, verse 6, They are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all Children. So just because a person is born Jewish, that don't mean that they're saved. And now he brings forth Isaac as an example, if you look there in the latter half of verse 7. He said, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now this was prophesied in the 17th chapter of the book of Genesis, uh, before Isaac was even born. Some 15 years earlier, Sarah told Abraham to go in under her handmaid, Hagar, and have children through her. Sarah was barren, and so she concocted this scheme, and the Bible says that Abraham hearkened unto the voice of his wife, and this union between Abraham and Hagar, uh, the end result of that was Ishmael. He was a work of the flesh. And although he was the son of Abraham, Ishmael was, he did not have any inclinations toward God, none whatsoever. On the contrary, he tried to kill Isaac in uh, Genesis chapter 21. Uh, the Jewish Targum say that Ishmael was shooting arrows out in a field, and he'd have Isaac to run out and try to fetch the arrows. And while he was running around out there getting the arrows, Ishmael was shooting 
Aaron was trying to hit Isaac, and the, the plan was to kill him and make it look like an accident. Whatever it was that was going on, you can read that story there in Genesis chapter 21. It was serious enough that Sarah said, hey, that boy and Hagar, they got to go. So I, whatever went on there, it was serious enough that uh, Abraham sent them away. But God knew through foreknowledge what the faith of these two boys would be, Isaac and Ishmael, even before they were born. And God chose Isaac because he knew that Isaac would choose him. Now, I want you to think about it for just a minute. When God told Abraham in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis, he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom you love, and go into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. We, most of the time, focus on Abraham doing this thing. And Abraham's faith. But as they were going up the mountain, Isaac said, My father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. But at a given point in time, Isaac began to realize that he was the one who would be placed upon that altar and be offered up. And there's no record of Isaac running away from what God wanted. Now you think about that. I want you to think about the faith of Isaac. He was willing to lay down his life on that altar, and he trusted what his father said. God will provide himself a lamb. And Abraham knew that God was going to send a redeemer into this world. Abraham knew that somehow through his family that redeemer was going to come. But he didn't know how redemption would be brought about. And through all of this that God asked Abraham to do, Abraham would learn how our redemption, our salvation would be brought about. It would be brought about by a Redeemer offering up his life on an altar. Now, he didn't know it was the cross at that time. That would be revealed to Moses some many years later. But at a given point in time, Abraham had that knife in his hand, fixing to plunge it into Isaac's chest. And a voice from heaven rang out and said, Stay thine hand. And Abraham turned and saw a ram caught in the thicket, and he took that ram and offered it up. But in all of that, think about the faith that Isaac had to have. He was willing to do what God ask of him to do. All right, look at the latter half of verse 8, Romans chapter 9, verse 8. The children of the promise are counted for 
the seed. In other words, only those who believe in the promised Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, are saved. It's not about whether you were born a Jew or not, or whether you're a member of the Baptist church or Pentecostal church or whatever. Is your faith anchored in the promised Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. That's found in Genesis chapter 18. At the time that God told Abraham this, he was around uh, close to a 100 years old, and Sarah was 90. It was impossible for them to have children at this time. But there's nothing impossible with God if we'll believe Him. And Abraham had faith despite their condition. Abraham believed God. Paul had this to say in Romans chapter 4, uh, verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to do. If I could just get some church folk to believe like Abraham. Hello? If we'll just believe God and what He has promised us, we'd be in a lot better shape. Isaac was a type of Christ. Even his birth was a miracle birth, just like that of Christ. And his willingness to lay down his life to... Satisfy the will of God was a foreshadow of Christ laying down his life for, for us. Now, all of this was a foreshadow of the promise of God to redeem mankind. And God chose Israel to bring all of this about. But again, just because a person is born Jewish, that don't mean that they're saved. Now, some Jews would take Paul's analogy here talking about Isaac and so forth. And they would say, well, that doesn't apply to me because I trace my lineage back through Isaac. I didn't come through Ishmael, so that doesn't apply to me. So Paul gives us another example in verses 10 through 13, using Jacob and Esau as an example, the two sons of Isaac to uh, further disprove this idea of national salvation. Let's take a look at it. Romans chapter 9, verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Here we have twins, two boys, 
born just minutes apart, shared the same parents, grew up in the same godly home, the same godly environment. Jacob had a heart for God and the things of God, but Esau could have cared less. Again, God knew through foreknowledge what the faith of these two brothers would be. So the prophecy was given at that time to Rebekah that the elder would serve the younger. Esau was born first. He was the firstborn. Due to that being born first, he was entitled to the birthright, which meant that he would be the future priest of the family. He would be given twice the amount of the inheritance. Now, Esau was all about the money part of it. But being the priest and the spiritual part, he could care less for that. And the Bible says that he despised his birthright. You can read about that in the 25th chapter of Genesis. And he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. And Paul quotes Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 here in verse 13 and says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, there's some confusion and some debate over what is said here in this verse. This does not mean that God had personal malice toward Esau. Let me say that again. It says here, Esau have I hated. But that doesn't mean that God had personal malice toward Esau, as we normally think of the word hate. It's just an idiom of preference. Just like when Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, Dana, if you will, pull it up. Luke chapter 14. Move down to verse 26. Jesus told the disciples in Luke 14, 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. One of the commandments is that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. And Jesus comes around here and says in this verse that we're to hate our father and mother. That ain't what it means. It's an idiom of preference. Go on and see what he says. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children... The Bible says that a man that don't look after his own household is worse than an infidel. Wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. When Jesus uttered those words, he did not mean that we've got to hate, have personal malice toward the members of our own family. He meant it as an idiom of preference. In other words, you have to prefer Jesus over everybody else. He has to be number one 
in your life if you're going to be his disciple. God preferred Jacob over Esau because of his faith toward God. And that's all that's meant there. Now, some try to take this particular passage to prove the doctrine of predestination. Romans chapter 9, verse 11, where it says that the purpose of God according to the election might stand. See that? The phrase there in verse 12, the elder shall serve the younger. And they say that God predestined all of this to be. No, he did not. He knew what these brothers would do through foreknowledge. God is not limited to time like you and I are. He already knows the future. It's hard for us to to grasp and understand that. But God knows what the eternal destination of each individual is going to be. Now, just because he knows what a person's going to choose to do, and we're going to deal with it a little bit more when we get to first. 14, that don't mean that God steps in and causes it to happen one way or the other. He never interferes with a person's free will of choice. See, but God does know what a person is going to do. Um, Those who believe in the doctrine of predestination, they use verse 13. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And they say that God predestines some to go to heaven, while others he predestines uh, to go to hell. God does not predestine anyone to go to hell. Matter of fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If God predestines some to go to hell, that takes away their free will of choice. See, the only thing that God has predestined is his plan of salvation. And that was determined from the foundation of the world. Sometime in eternity past, in the councils of the Godhead, it was determined that God would make man. God knew that man would fall. And it was determined by the Godhead that Jesus Christ would be born into this world and go to a cross to redeem mankind. So his plan of salvation is the only thing that's being predestined, and that's it. God's attitude toward Jacob and Esau was based on their attitude toward him. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, God loves everybody. He loves the sinner. He loves the godless one sitting in here tonight. But he loves those more who love him. Does that make any sense to you? He loves everybody the same in that he sent his son into the world to die for them. But he blesses his children. And those that come against God, that hate God, that won't turn to Him. He allows bad things to happen to Him. Sometimes, you know it as well as I do, you have to fall flat on your back. 
If you choose to go the way of sin, it will drag you down and totally wreck you to a place where there's only one other place you can look, and that's up to God. And God will allow that to happen. And another thing, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And I truly believe that had Esau sought the Lord, honestly, sought the Lord and repented of his ways, God would have treated him with the same respect, love, kindness, and blessings as he did with Jacob. But Esau did not turn to God. All right. Verse 12, Romans 9, verse 12. This is going to be a little bit off the subject, but I believe it's worth bringing out here. Where it says, the elder shall serve the younger. As a Christian, we have a sin nature. We're born with that sin nature. We also, as a Christian, we have a divine nature. That divine nature came into our hearts and lives the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior. The sin nature is the elder. The divine nature is the younger of the two natures. It is God's will that the elder, the sin nature, serve the younger, the divine nature. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, For sin, the sin nature, shall not have dominion over you. It's God's will that the divine nature rule and reign in your life and not the sin nature. And so I thought I would just bring that out here uh, and share that with you in verse 12, although that's not the main thought that's being brought out. Uh, here in this verse. All right, let's take a look at the question of verse 14. Romans chapter 9, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Paul asks this question because some would say that God's unfair in his actions toward Jacob and Esau. Some people look at their own situation and they say, God's not fair. God's not treated me right. I look at this person over here. They, they hardly ever come to church and yet they've got a new car. They've got a new house. They, they get to take vacations and, and here I am struggling to make ends meet and I'm here every Sunday. But God's just not treating me fair. You need to be careful with that. You need to get that out of your mind, get that out of your thinking, because there is no unrighteousness with God. Everything that He allows into our lives, whether we like it or not, is ultimately for our own good, see. And, and I know there are some Christians who say, oh, I want a million dollars. Well, that's fine. God can bless some Christians with with plenty of money and they're a blessing to the work of God but there's some people if God gave a million dollars to they'd lose their soul see because it opens up doors of opportunity to get into things that normally they wouldn't get into and God sees and knows the future he knows 
what we can bear. You know, I, I, one of the scripture that everybody in here knows, God's not going to put more on you than what you can stand. Well, that goes with his blessings as well. You see, because if we're not careful in handling God's blessings, his blessings can become a curse. So the Lord measures out to us such as what we need, and we need to be satisfied with what God has given us. And you need to get that thought out of your mind, well, God's been unfair to me. Things have happened to me, and my health ain't good, you know, and I've, I love God and been in church all my life and read His Word, and yet this one over here hardly goes to church at all. And You need to stop looking at that. The Bible says that He reigns on the just and on the unjust, see. And when we start blaming God, we get into trouble. I was listening to a preacher the other day. I don't know who he was. He was talking about forgiveness. You need to forgive others. And he was talking about how when we harbor unforgiveness toward others, it puts us in a prison. See, it only hurts you when you don't forgive others their trespasses against you. And, and, and the preacher was right in that. He went a step further and he said, we need to forgive ourselves. And he went on to talk about that. You know, God has forgiven us and we need to forgive ourselves. And we need to forget those things which are behind. Like Paul said, impressed toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm all behind the preacher when he said that. Amen, brother, preach it. Get on down with it. But then he went another step further. And he said, you need to forgive God. Well, I cut the TV off when he went there. Because God ain't done us any wrong. He's never done you wrong. If we're in a mess, if you'll be honest with yourself, it's because you got yourself in that mess, see. And God's not going to override your free will of choice. Well, why did that man rape my daughter god could have stopped that well yeah he could but the man that raped that girl or whatever the case he had the free will of choice god could have stopped it but he's not going to override a person's free will of choice and things happen in this life we're living in a world of sin and things happen in this life that's not fair but we don't need to blame god for that Okay, and that's what Paul meant here. Is there any unrighteousness with God? He said, God forbid. No. So, if you have those thoughts in your heart toward God, you need to ask the Lord to forgive you of that thing and ask the Lord to help you with that situation, whatever it may be, because. It, it can cause you to lose your soul, to lose your way. And we're just going to stop right there for tonight. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. 
Go to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.